the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 493. Uh, Very pleased to have with me on the show, Philip Whitmore, uh, back again, uh, his partner at uh, KPMG Cyber. Welcome along, Philip. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me back. Hey, great. Always great to hang out and get to uh, catch up on what's happening in the world of uh, technology. Now, uh, before we jump into all the news and topics, and we're going to talk about cybersecurity, we're going to talk about Tesla taking on uh, Toyota and the rest of the audio, auto uh, industry, uh, what's Google doing? to show some respect for the New Zealand market, uh, what are uh, cyber criminals doing to show a complete lack of respect for New Zealand and New Zealand businesses. Uh, a special thank you to our show partners that uh, that keep us on the air, if that's a, a legit uh, way of describing what we do these days. Uh, and so, yeah, huge thank you uh, to Gorilla Technology, Samsung, HP, Vocus, Spark, Vodafone, and Sumo Logic. Uh, so thanks to those companies for uh, you know standing behind uh, the technology sector here in New Zealand, uh, and especially the New Zealand Tech Podcast. So Philip, before we dump into yeah, hearing all your thoughts and opinions on uh, on cybersecurity uh, matters, which is is you know what you live and breathe day to day, we have a few other topics that I wanted to talk about. And uh, first up is Tesla. Last week, having uh, hit the top spot on the share market, their uh, their market cap, uh, making them worth more than uh, Toyota. And when I looked at the numbers again uh, this morning, I was doing an interview on uh, on TV three on this uh, subject. It looked as though they were uh, they were potentially you know back in that position again. And these companies tend to uh, move up and up and down uh, a little bit. But it, I mean, to me, it's just mind blowing that this uh, fairly small car company, in many regards, they've it was only March that they got to the point of being able to celebrate having sold a million vehicles. So, you know, in in the scheme of how many cars there are in the world and that are sold globally, they're they're a, you know a bit player right now. Yet, investors think that they very much are the future, or there are a certain segment of investors that do. And so, yeah, I've been giving this a little bit of thought. You know, why has this happened? Is any of it justified? I'm curious about your your thoughts before I share mine. Look, look, it's interesting. It is interesting. And often, particularly for technology companies, that, that value is based upon the, the future. Very um, much you know, so, yes. Where is it going? You know, what can we see it doing? And, and look, having got a car last year, all the, it all seemed very boring to me. All the cars seemed roughly the same, all same sort of features. And, you know, but if I've got a Tesla, that's something a bit different. You know, it's not a Porsche, it's not a Ferrari, but it's different and it's nice and there's a brand perception with it and there's some substance behind it now. And again, a lot of technology companies have n- not always had that substance. There has been no money coming through the door. Yeah. So I can't understand why people see something in it. Yeah, there's something different. It's an American um, manufacturing for cars and a lot of cars these days aren't owned by the countries that we think they are. Things have you know That's gone true. around. Yeah. There's only a, probably I would say, and I might be wrong here, about ten car companies in the world. 
and all their subsidiaries that they own. That's right. Um, So Tesla's a bit different. It's independent. Uh, A guy had an idea and he made it happen. He's got some interesting ideas at times, but you may, you know, is there? And and Teslas are coming out now that are more affordable for people, and that's only going to improve over time. Um, So I can understand that. Is it worth more than Toyota? I don't know about that. Um, well, yeah, that, that was interesting. We'd, we'd and, um, yeah, discussed that a little bit with Duncan Garner this morning. And, yeah, of course, in TV, you've got to just race through things. So you get about you know, two words and then on to the, on to the next. But, but yeah, I made the comment that I think there, there's something that Tesla are doing that all businesses need to be doing. And, look, Tesla could have easily just been an electric car company. But arguably, they're more of a technology company than they are a car company now. And I say arguably because I'm sure there are different uh, views on that. But the technology piece, when you you know combine that, is is the bit that I I think that really gives them the edge and gives them uh, the step up on the other players. And look, the technology. You know, part of that is in that they're an electric vehicle and they've got this this great range, and it's just in the last uh, 24 hours I think that they've put up a blog post that they're uh, and, you know they've got at the moment you know, four vehicles for sale, but the Model S, which was uh, really their their original vehicle for you know a, not quite mass market, but you know that that wasn't uh, just very very super super niche because their Roadster was their their very first vehicle. Um, you know that's kept improving over the years since it was released uh, in the direction of eight years ago, and they just announced that they've hit uh, a range of four hundred uh, miles, which comes out to you know, about six hundred and forty kilometres. Now this is based on the the. Uh, EPA range in the US and there are varying ones the range that gets in New Ze- used in, in New Zealand is bizarre because it's it's generally kind of way out uh, but you know so the, the, they've had this increase in range that's pretty impressive I think even compared to what their vehicles were getting last year uh, it's like Ten percent up or something like that. I think their press release or their their blog post mentioned a twenty percent increase, but it wasn't a like for like comparison. It was their performance model versus their long range. So I'm not sure what the exact number is there, but a growing range. uh, They announced via, I guess this was an internal communication to their staff that they're at the point now where they can begin production of their trucks, like their full size uh, semi trucks. And uh, they're continuing to update the software. So on on Friday, myself and and you know a bunch of others uh, who got sucked into uh, into you know buying this piece of technology on on wheels uh, were excited to see that there was a software update coming through. And when that arrived on our vehicles, we found that they had turned on a capability to do with how the Teslas when used in New Zealand, Australia or or Canada now deal with stop signs, uh, traffic lights, T-junctions, roundabouts, a few other things, but those those, uh, four main things. And what it does is if you're allowing the car to... I guess be on a uh, on a cruise control type mode, which 
most vehicles, I'm, I'm guessing, you would tend to use cruise control more on a on a longer vehicle. From my on a longer journey, from my own experience, uh, you know, the the Tesla, you can turn on that adaptive cruise control and the autopilot on. Eh, just about just about any street which has got clearly marked, uh, you know, lines on the on the left and right of of where you're driving. Um, but of course, if you were to fall asleep at the wheel or or be inattentive and you're coming into uh, traffic lights or to a stop sign, um, look with a typical cruise control, it's just going to drive straight through, right? So this capability now, in those cases, it will slowly grind to a halt unless you give it confirmation that, hey, it's okay to keep driving. So it's not at a point yet where it takes into consideration whether traffic lights are green or red, whether there's anything coming when you get to a roundabout, which you need to actually control your vehicle through a roundabout anyway. It's not quite there on that tech. Uh, and a stop sign, well, I think legally in New Zealand, as in yeah, probably everywhere in the world, if it says stop, you are actually supposed to come to a stop, but it allows you to ignore that if you if you wish to. So um, yeah, it's, it's interesting just to see these continual uh, adjustments and, and moving forward of what's possible. Of course, I will recommend to anybody who's driving a Tesla, whether you're, you know, you're an owner or just somebody trying it out, uh, do keep your hands on the wheel, uh, a foot near the near the brake. If you're, you know, if you if you're letting it do its own thing, uh, because it's they're not yeah, flawless yet, but pretty impressive for, um, you know, the I guess. A, a car um, that isn't, uh, I guess, got uh, got the same sort of level of technology in it as uh, Waymo, for instance, with with their uh, yeah very expensive lidar technology and and so on, and the fact that most of this technology works in lots and lots of places. It's not you know limited to a particular mapped location. The update feature is interesting because I'm used to a car to, when it has an update. I might get a new map on my GPS. Um, I might get something else fixed where it runs a bit smoother. And that's about a, and, you know, I set up for a car last year and it's a fairly modern car and that's about its update capability. But I can, you know, turn on a whole bunch of new features and do a whole bunch of new things. I've got a computer with some wheels on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's interesting. You know, the possibility, you know, it's a bit like they sit there with our phones or, you know, iOS 11, 12, whatever, 13 is going to come out. What's it going to give me? What's it going to do? You know, there's this, I guess, I guess expectation, the perception that something new and exciting is coming. And that drives some value. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah. it does. And I, and I think that's part of where Tesla, Tesla's share price has risen because owners who have experienced it and realised there there is a sort of night and day difference in terms of how the Tesla works from that software perspective that would remind them if they're, for instance, an iPhone owner of the disruption that Apple and and ultimately Google caused to the, uh, the smartphone, mobile phone market. And yeah, this idea that a vehicle can get better and better over time, and I mean there are so there are so many. Yeah, we'd be sitting here for a long time chatting through, or even just in the whatever it is, however many months I've had it, maybe eight, eight months. Uh, all of the things that have come through in terms of um, software, if we delved in and, and chatted about exactly, you know, how they work and and what they do. So there there is an element of it being somewhat game changing. But 
yeah, the comment I made to Duncan this morning was, well, it's very much in the hands of Toyota and these other players. They still dominate the market largely. If they can reorientate their businesses and get get themselves in into a position where they they operate on you know what I'd say where, where Tesla is, which is a very modern, agile company, continuous improvement to their vehicles through software updates and so on, and even small things. You know, we heard last week that the. Um, Tesla Model 3, which, you know, I've got it. It's got uh, two USB, um, you know, ports for passengers sitting in the back. Uh, and there's an option for a wireless charger up front, which which I have. They've just changed it sort of mid-cycle, not waiting for the 2021 model or anything. They've just changed those ports to be USB-C because that's what Makes they think is, is the right thing to be doing now. Uh, and so they'll make those sort of changes midstream in the same way they just did with the, the Model S that now has this longer range for ones that are, that are ordered from now going, going forward. That's not something that lines up with a particular year. So very different to the traditional automakers and it, and it puts them in a great position. But any other company could probably achieve you know, very similar things, but... Right now, there is still a disconnect between the old ways of operating and and this you know, approach that Tesla are taking. And it is that concept. I mean, you look at the, you see the iPhone and if Android came from Google, it, it wasn't really the hardware because Nokia did some fantastic hardware and BlackBerry did some great hardware. It was software and how that's the user experience and how things are delivered to users and apps, you know, that's what made the change. Um, and obviously now the older hardware is gone and... and we see that um, competition. It could be the same thing with the car. Mm. You know? So, yeah, whether whether the investors are, are right or wrong, we will see. But uh, it's often talked about in the uh, Facebook groups and amongst uh, Tesla owners online where people are debating, should I pay the extra for... Uh, what what is called full self drive, which of course there's no such there's no such thing really at the moment, but you're paying for this feature that may be delivered at some point in time, and the price of it gradually is going up, and a lot of people say, look, if you've got enough money to afford it, just buy some Tesla shares, and then in a few months they will have gone up enough that you can put that money back in your pocket if you wish uh, and then take the you know the the increase from the shares having moved up and pay for it that way now i i don't know the share price could be half what it is now in in another 6 months those things are yeah that's crystal ball gazing stuff but uh, yeah interesting now on to this sort of discussion we we've, we've we've had over over a few months, I suppose, is Microsoft Teams has has kind of got this media attention in recent months that it didn't really have any sort of mainstream media attention, and even even uh, Zoom uh, to a degree. I've you know, heard from people said I'd never heard of Zoom before uh, COVID, but now I'm using Zoom, and you know this is this is this new uh, verb and 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 so on, um, and. Yeah, so the I guess the, the latest news this week was that Teams is addressing one of its shortcomings with Zoom. Because I think a lot of organisations have already, you know, they've they've either ditched Zoom, they never had Zoom, they're just going with Teams for video calling. Others have been not pleased with 
teams because it doesn't maybe have quite the, uh, the parity with uh, with Zoom on some features. And one of those was how many callers you could put on the screen at once. Uh, teams, it was four. That bumped to nine. Uh, Zoom has allowed you to have 49 people's uh, faces on the screen. Uh, Microsoft have announced that they will be offering that uh, starting this month for some users, their sort of preview version, and then rolling out more broadly um, in, in the next few months. So, um, yeah, just interesting to see that Microsoft are really upping their pace in terms of delivery of new capabilities, and they're working so, so hard to make sure uh, that, that they can really compete. And last week, of course, the discussion was uh, Teams versus Slack uh, and uh, Slack's partnership with uh, with Amazon and uh, Amazon Chime. So, yes, Microsoft are working uh, <coughs> working very very hard on that front. Now, where are you on uh, on Teams? Do you use uh, Teams or or Zoom the most? So, certainly for work, we're using Teams. Um, a lot of my <coughs> excuse me, a lot of the Microsoft suite. <coughs> And it works well. Um, I think number one thing over lockdown was the ability to do custom backgrounds. Uh, yes, well, Zoom very popular for for that because I think they started early on to offer if you had a green screen, you could do a custom background, and then they, they moved to there being a you know a bit of smart so it could do it so anyone could do a custom background, and you could do custom uh, video backgrounds in, in Zoom as well, right? You can look. I find Teams a bit better in terms of lock. <coughs> Lower processing power for your graphics card will make it um, a better outcome, but it does it well. I mean, Teams is rolling out new features monthly, if not, you know, bi-monthly. Um, I think, you know, the cloud nature of that just makes it possible. Um, Teams works well, integrates everything else. From a corporate version, I found it great. People got used to it. I mean, Zoom's great as well. I mean, there was a lot of criticism initially for some security shortcomings or some perceptual shortcomings. Um, like a lot of that was around users not understanding how to use these types of applications, whether it's Teams or Zoom or something else. And you know, and Zoom did fix the underlying technology issues pretty quick, and, and good on them too. It wasn't an app we'd used previously. It was more a say we'd use at home a personal life rather than a, a commercial app. So they've done really well, and it's like any sort of software. You know, the most popular stuff will get focused on by the hackers because that's the biggest return on investment. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the volume of people using it is huge. Um, but it's great to see that Teams keep changing. I mean, Teams is going to replace Skype for business. Um, you know, I don't. I now just need one one app. And, may, and, and maybe at some point, you know, longer term, even replacing uh, the Skype consumer product possibly Correct. because they're they're you know, making it available to, to the general public and we see Zoom has become... Yeah, very, very popular with the general public. Now, one thing that I it's fascinating here when you know for for those who you know follow all of the comp the companies with their different products, it's been interesting in in recent years how Microsoft have generally found it pretty hard to gain traction on any a lot of their a lot of their products from any sort of consumer awareness perspective. Right when you had. Uh, Microsoft Cortana, and you had Siri, your Google Assistant. I mean, Cortana would get yet zero press. It didn't didn't help them. They didn't make it available, you know, broadly internationally, and varying other things where 
this the Microsoft product wouldn't wouldn't you know ever get a mention, regardless of whether it was you know any any uh, good or or not. And I I guess you know part of that is. Most journalists are technology consumers. They don't sort of sit inside a large uh, organisation and and using sort of you know business oriented products. So there's that aspect. Whereas Microsoft have very much become you know a maker of software predominantly for uh, businesses, whether they're small or whether they're uh, large. And of course, Google had had a huge amount of success with with G Suite. That would again would probably fit into the category where a lot of journalists would be using those products. Hangouts, for instance, uh, would would be probably the you know the the video one of the video products that would uh, you know, get get a fair bit of mention. Skype sort of been sitting away in the background there, but but Hangouts was a discussion. You'd hear much more talk about Hangouts and references to it than you would about Skype for Business, for instance, and and a, you know traditional uh, media. But Microsoft have pushed very hard uh, with Teams, and yeah, they're getting talked about in in mainstream media. Yeah, COVID nineteen and people working from home has been been part of that. But I'm very curious what Microsoft has uh, learned from this and how how it might flavour how they do things in the in the future. I mean it's it's fair to say they've pushed incredibly hard with teams. They've invested in it. They've forced its rollout on organizations that aren't aren't looking and controlling you know what Microsoft pushes out. So yeah, it potentially upset some people there, but it's created this mass awareness and they've had overall pretty impressive uh, adoption and i think you're going to see some interesting changes certainly from a, a business point of view over the next few months of microsoft they're rolling out whole ecosystems of products whereas previously i bought that from microsoft i might have bought my antivirus from somewhere else this from something else well now microsoft just does it all and as part of your licensing with its office 365 reserve you've already paid for it you've already got it so why have multiple products that don't necessarily talk to each other that well when Microsoft's doing most of it and taking over the ecosystem? And it does it well. Um, so that will be interesting. I, I think some of the legacy vendors out there, say from a security suite where um, I'm, I'm closely involved with, will start to have a hard time because Microsoft's bringing out features that already do that or you know software that already does that. The whole, actually, the whole team thing is interesting, you know, the first IRC server, you know, back in the early nineties, I was using it. I would tell people what IRC is if they if internet they, if relay not chat. Sure. Think Teams about video um, hasn't changed that much. Um, you know, Slack is very much like the old IRC. It's true. It was a need for it. What was the need for it? Um, and COVID nineteen drove a need in our personal lives and in our corporate lives. Um, and I think sometimes we're not creative enough. It's like Microsoft things, hello, which, you know, biometric sign into our laptops and that works really well. Do people have it turned on? Generally, no. Um, sometimes linking up that business need or that personal need to technology has been hard. I think Microsoft's done that well. You know, how can we use these tools to make our lives easier? Yeah, well, um, yeah, full credit to them. They're, um, they're doing well on, on this front anyway. Now, Google, their Google Assistant. This is is probably a little bit of a um, a surprise to many because you've had the uh, Google Home Mini available in in retailers in New Zealand for 
you know, for some time. Uh, so you know, having a physical Google Assistant device is, just seems like a reasonably normal thing. A lot of a lot of Kiwis, you know, have them. Actually, what I had, you know, not uh, not you know clicked onto, I guess, because we have so many Android phones in, in New Zealand, and and you know, Google Assistant on their phones is is very common. Was actually Google had never actually launched uh, their. Uh, what is now called the Nest Mini, they'd never, never actually launched that in in New Zealand. So uh, last week I had a uh, a call with them, and I've been testing out their uh, Nest Mini, which launches here in uh, I think it's twenty fifth of June, and. With that, I suppose we actually will, and I'm, I'm waiting for a little bit more information uh, through uh, from from Google because if you set up the Nest Mini uh, locally right now, it's I guess it is uh, pre-launch. Then you know it doesn't quite know what language to to give you. I set it up from uh, the iPhone and using the Google Home app, and it had a look and said, "Well, you're set to." English New Zealand I don't have a match and it was offering me you know some non-English language to sort of set it up for was the was the default so I you know, scroll, scrolled down and uh, choose you know, English Australian uh, which which is is fine um, but there are some shortcomings when these things aren't fully fully supported and you know, I, I guess I noticed those with Amazon uh, Alexa the Amazon Echo uh, devices using those for you know, a few years prior to their their local launch. It wasn't until they were launched locally they really became you know, really good and and capable because there were these shortcomings with language and and other aspects that that just weren't quite uh, quite right. So yeah, really pleasing to see that Google uh, you know, treating New Zealand as a sort of you know full class citizen of uh, this planet now. And yeah, you know, we've had some discussions in the past on the New Zealand Tech Podcast around, hey, you know, why aren't Google releasing you know, certain products locally in New Zealand officially? And you had you know, people basically having to get a parallel import uh, version. And look, you can understand there's a there's a level, they're, they're a business, they want these transactions to be profitable. And for every new market that they launch them in, there is some sort of cost of providing that support. But also, look, they're a really big global company. And, uh, you know, to be fair, we've had these complaints around uh, Microsoft in, in the past. They never launched Cortana sort of officially uh, in, in, New, in New Zealand, their, their consumer uh, product. Uh, even Apple, when they went from products that were launching in New Zealand you know, first in the world because of our time zone to maybe one or two occasions where suddenly they were launching in other markets but not New Zealand usually they're pretty well lined up on those things uh, these days uh, so look it's I just think it's encouraging it's great to see that Google are doing that uh, on the call uh, was uh, Google's uh, New Zealand uh, country manager and you know I hope we can have we'll have you know further engagements with with Google on the podcast in the future but you know to me that was just you know a sign that they were taking that time to engage locally that they're they're launching the nest mini locally and you know no doubt other things are, are, are going on uh, and they've got a growing team in New Zealand I think there are about 50 people at the moment uh, so yeah things are things are very much on the move from a Google perspective yeah look I, I was like many people I hadn't realized I'd had them since 2017 I I probably picked it up in Australia now in hindsight. I had a Google Home from probably 2016, 
the US. I just assumed they were here. Yes, um, yeah. Had to do some funny things back in the days, send my time zone to Guam to make things work in the Pacific in bits and pieces. Um, that was pre-Australian uh, launch. But um, no, so, uh, so I guess they've got a, a brand perception out there already without having done anything, which is maybe a smart move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now I, I do want to on a on an episode soon dive a, a little bit more into a somewhat somewhat well, it's another one of the big companies, Apple, with their Apple Watch uh, Series Five LTE that I've been doing some experimentation with over the last uh, little while and um, so we'll delve into that a little bit more but I'll, I'll share the challenge that I had My I have uh, numbers on uh, Spark, Vodafone and uh, now in two degrees so I can you know, test different devices test the networks and so on And but my primary number has been with Vodafone for a fair chunk of time and I uh, when when Spark announced that they were going to be supporting the Apple Watch with an eSIM and concurrent calling I made the comment uh, to amongst others the CEO of Vodafone locally uh, that I'll be porting my number from uh, Vodafone my primary number from Vodafone to Spark we're going to we're going to you know flip flip that around um, I realised I had a little bit of a, a challenge that I'm using an old now no longer sold service but Vodafone are continuing to provide it for me that I was going to lose if I moved out and, and came back again so um, next week I will I will share uh, how I now have my um Vodafone number ringing on my um, Apple Watch quite successfully when I'm yeah, at a little bit of a distance and so on. Um, there's not rocket science there, but it was nice to figure that out, but I didn't have to port my number to do it. Now, a um, couple more things that we wanted to delve into really down the cybersecurity track while you're here, Philip. Um, first up, uh, Cryptopia. Now, there's their, their story there are... Um, uh, cryptocurrency uh, trading firm, um, I guess, would be the the sort of terminology I would refer to them as out of Christchurch. Uh, their systems were compromised, and it turned out the way that they were they were storing people's uh, cryptocurrencies, their Bitcoin, coin, Ethereum, and so on, uh, maybe wasn't quite the the safest approach, and it, it's not unique to them, uh, entirely, I suppose their uh, their approach. Uh, but effectively, a lot of people have lost money, and and. Uh, yeah, the company hit the wall, and then you know has been uh, the the uh, receivers have been working through the processes of trying to work out what they can give out to people. It looks uh, looks fairly complex. What were the sort of highlights from your perspective, having read a little bit of the uh, um, the report look, that just just came out in the last few days? Look, look it's been interesting because the. the um the, the liquidated receivers have had um, a, a challenge, even just things from you know, digital assets. Who owns, you know, these digital assets they have there? Is it the uh, the people who have put the money in? So, like you and I had a bank account, or is it the company themselves? So, you know, back in February they went to court to get a, a ruling on that because there's no clear law in New Zealand, and that said, well, the, the cryptocurrencies are owned by the account holders, like you and I own our money in, the, in our bank accounts. So that's good because they certainly had creditors challenging that. Creditors own money saying, hey, here's all these, you know, millions of dollars worth of money sitting there, the stuff that wasn't stolen. Um, can we have some of it, please? Because we're owed money. So I guess that's, put, that's that's been a positive. The 
challenge now well, depending is, on where you sit with it's a positive uh, true true <laughs> for the whole for, for the account holders yeah the challenge absolutely. now is unlike often with cryptocurrency there isn't individual wallets it's one big wallet or a series of wallets with multiple people having a partial ownership in that so how do you identify who those people are and have they complied with the anti-money money laundering laws to get that sort of positive confirmation? And I think that's difficult. The answer may be not fully. That, yeah, um, that looks really yeah. complex in terms of you know complying with the, the AML, or anti-money laundering yeah. um, rules. And because there were so many account holders, you know, over a million, then, uh, yeah, very, very hard to actually yeah. work through that because it costs a lot of money in, in terms of, you know, time and yeah. An effort to actually go jump through those hoops to prove ownership. It's yeah. going to be hard. I yeah. mean, the receivers are going to have a challenging, long, um, challenging time because people want their money back. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That'd be interesting to watch and how, see what how good of, and trustworthy is the database that says who owns what, right? Yeah, and the thing is that database didn't match up to the money. Essentially, there was not a, a reconciliation between them. Um, so, can you say? Well, you know, would I argue, well, actually, it wasn't my assets that were stolen. It was someone else's cryptocurrency. I said, have all mine back, please. And that will be an interesting challenge as well. Yeah, or do you divvy yeah, it up? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and also on a, on a local New Zealand front, we've had what is really, um, I mean, crazy in terms of the, the scale of it is the ransomware hits that we've had in New Zealand this year. Now, it's not just New Zealand. These things are happening around the world. But in the past, there have been very few ransomware cases that have hit the public media as far as New Zealand's concerned. Now, Toll Group, twice that they've been hit, and a, and a huge impact when an organisation of scale, and you know, quite often a huge impact if it's a smaller organisation, uh, gets hit with ransomware, so, yeah, first of all, it was toll. Then in the last you know, week or so, we heard about uh, Fisher & Paykel Appliances and uh, Lion, which we would have previously referred to as Lion, Lion Breweries, I suppose. Uh, and then, you know, continuing hearing all the international cases, uh, you know, I think in the same period we heard about Honda uh, that had got hit. These, these things are having mass disruption and... There are, there are a couple of aspects that are quite different in terms of what we were looking at when we were seeing ransomware you know, maybe a year ago. Do you want to walk us through you know, you, what, what you've uh, seen in regards to ransomware and, and you know, how much worse of a problem you think it is now than it was a year ago? Sure, sure. Look, New Zealand is one of the most targeted countries in the world for ransomware because we are… Gullible? Trusting, gullible, <laughs> naive. Yeah. Uh, let's go with trusting. Sad, Trusting's it? a good word. Yeah. And that's a great part of our culture. Yeah, um, we are not good at, at cybersecurity. Um, we tend to think we're great. We're not even probably good. Yeah, some places are okay. Um, and it is that trusting nature and, and lack of regulation. So, you know, ransomware has been significant here, but it's been $500 demand. It's been a $2,000 demand. You know, the impact hasn't been that high. People have often paid it out. Um, people restore from backups. And it hasn't impacted operations, particularly in sort of a, a manufacturing type environment or a logistical environment where it's had a real impact, not only on that company, but all their customers. So we're starting to see the impact of ransomware being far more significant on you and me as individuals and other companies and obviously the people that get impacted. 
also starting to see the amount that's being demanded going up significantly. As I said, you know, it used to be $500, a couple of thousand dollars. We're seeing six-figure sums um, somewhat often now in New Zealand. Um, and also you've seen some of the ones in the media lately where they're saying, you know, if you don't pay us, um, not only we not get your information back, but we're going to share it with the public or share it with others. So the threat of disclosure of potentially sensitive information. That's huge, isn't it? Because yeah. you, you could have been, last year if you'd been hit and you'd just re, you know recovered your, your backup, whatever your uh, scenario was to get back on your feet, yeah, you wouldn't have con- considered you know really paying anything if you could get back up and running very quickly. But now you might be all back up and running and fully operational, but you are potentially going to give in to that ransom because you don't want your data to get leaked. And that is that is a really, really horrible scenario. And in, in the back of my mind would be if you were in that position and you pay out, what's to stop them coming back again and in six months because they've you know they've they've had a payment out of you now will they will they try again at some point uh, in the future right and the answer is maybe in the past generally it hasn't um, but right that's evolving you know you're right if you can make a good return on your time as a criminal why wouldn't you go back it's interesting look you know, there are some simple things that can do CertNZ which is a government agency set up to educate New Zealanders and deal for instance put out some basic guidance on so, you know top 10 things you can do they would go a long way, just those by themselves, to reduce the likelihood of ransomware and certainly reduce the impact. Um, it would be nice to see us taking it a little bit more seriously because it's not a nice thing to do to go in once it's hit an organisation. It really impacts the people. And so who are the sort of organisations that uh, you and your, your team uh, end up dealing with and, and hearing from and helping out basically with it, with these sorts of things. Oh, look, look, it's it's, it's everyone, and anyone, uh, schools, law firms, architect firms, accounting firms, manufacturing organisations, financial institutions, you name it. Um, ransomware is common. You just don't see it on the six o'clock news so often, but you see, you know, you see more and more articles about organisations that you know is part of our day to day life. Um, Hopefully, that's a bit of a wake-up call. I, I hope so. I mean, with with Gorilla, our uh, our team are regularly involved in doing technology audits of New Zealand organisations, usually at the smaller uh, to medium end. And I've got to say, in most cases, I'm just shocked and disappointed at the the level in which the organisation is protected from a cyber security perspective and just how at risk they are uh, to ransomware and phishing attacks and, you know, so many other things where they, they could be you know, much, much further down the track yeah. on those things. People are making assumptions that they've got antivirus software that's going to stop ransomware. It might sometimes, but many times it won't. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. Now... What else is happening? You were mentioning to me before we started that uh, you've got a little competition going on. Yeah. So we got we got a bit bored a couple of weeks ago. So what we've got kicking off this Friday is a cybersecurity competition open to everyone in the IT industry in New Zealand and any, any tertiary students studying cybersecurity. And uh, it's a bit of fun. Um, 
and it's designed for people that are very new to the area, so not a lot of knowledge, and also through to very, very experienced people. There's enough there to keep people challenged. So let's just you know, go along, have a look at www.kpmgcyberchallenge.co.nz. Um, it'd be great to see people involved. There's a few hundred people involved at the moment. We'd love to see more. Um, some nice prizes up as well, from 3D printer to a 37-inch widescreen um, curved gaming monitor. We'd oh, love nice. to keep them, but equally, <laughs> we probably should give them away. <laughs> oh, very nice. That's that's very cool. Excellent. Well, thanks, Philip. It's been great to uh, catch up. Great to have you on the uh, the show again. And look, special thanks, of course, to our show partners as well. Their uh, their support of the show is very much appreciated. And of course, to um, you that are listening in, we, we appreciate your support uh, each episode. And we will be back again with a new uh, episode next week. But I should mention uh, a, a couple of new podcasts that are worth uh, looking out for. Uh, if you or somebody you know has an interest in the, the food sector, uh, we have a new show called the Kiwi Foodcast, uh, which has got some quite fascinating uh, stories starting to uh, come together. The first uh, episode is is out now, and uh, probably by the time some of you hear this, the uh, the second episode will be out as well. So yeah, great uh, sort of inside stories. I guess it's it's probably the crossover between food and business. So a lot about the, the stories behind uh, food businesses, uh, and then uh, the other one we've got is our uh, focus on remote working which is quite relevant at the moment but of course has been relevant for a very long time a lot of people have you know run businesses from home and operated remotely so uh, that one is up on um, the first show I mentioned the Kiwi Foodcast is on uh, podcast.nz um, the remote uh, the remote work productivity and lifestyle is the other podcast and you can find that at worldpodcasts.com so, yeah, a couple of new shows to uh, uh, sink your teeth into. Well, that's us. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you again uh, next week for the next episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Okay, see ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.